We told you before we started this two weeks ago that some people just love to deliver bad news. Some people deliver it, don't enjoy it, but other people, they just seem to really get a kick out of it and like to bring that up with you. And we were going over that part with the with the woman. I know some of you folks mentioned it to me, enjoyed it. The woman and men, you know, and going through the store, and I uh, heard a few comments that went on after that. And I enjoyed those comments. But basically, I wanted to summarize it this way. Women, you were made by God to enjoy the process. Men, you were made by God to enjoy the final product, the end result. Women, don't try and make your men to be women. And men, don't try and make your women to be men. A woman can enjoy the process of shopping and feel good about the process of shopping, even if the end result hasn't yielded what she intended. Isn't that right, ladies? You can find function. You can go shopping for shoes and not come home with any and still feel satisfied. <laughs> if men go to Lowe's for a screw and we don't come home with it, we are completely unsatisfied. doesn't matter what else we came home with. That's the thing that we did. So when we talk about it, men talk about the end result. Did you, go to, did you get what you needed at Lowe's? Yes. That's why we do that, because we're focused on the end result. We are able to push aside the process to keep our eyes focused on the end result. It's not that women can't do that. It's just that men are geared to it. God made us to do that. He made us to be able to push everything else aside and get our eyes on the goal and press toward it no matter what comes after you. Women, you have been made to enjoy the process. Men can steamroll things looking at the end result. Women are more tied into the process and are more tuned in. Hey, you got to be careful in this because you're steamrolling some stuff on the way to get there. That's why we complete each other. Don't make each other into each other. Enjoy who we are and what we are made to be. Laugh about it. Enjoy it. Whatever it might be, it's fine. But women, you were made to enjoy the process. Do not make us men enjoy the process. That's not what we're made to do. We may be able to find some fun in the process, but our, our fun is in the end result. Did we accomplish what we set out to do? As long as we did that, we have fun. That's why we'll come home and we'll say, how did it go? Got what I need. Because that's all we focus on is the, is the end result. Whereas you'd like to talk about the process that went on. And so that's one of the things I just wanted to, to say with you because that actually has bearing on what we're looking at today. We didn't get as far as I wanted to last time, but we did take a look at the Jarius in the beginning here. He came with the problem, he came with the plan, and he came with the proclamation. We all remember what he said. Verse 22, And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. He's got faith. He's got hope. He's got how this thing should come about. He's got a plan. He's got a process. Oh, he's got it all put together. And he is making a proclamation. So Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now, if we have time, I'll get into that word. But we put it towards the end. If we have time, we'll get into it because it does bear weight in this in this story. 
But he had a problem, which many of us have. He had a plan. Not all of us have that. And then he had a proclamation based on his plan. We know that the woman, <clears throat> the woman came up to him. And she came up in the crowd and pressed into him. We talked about that last time. But we want to pick up here at where we left off. And that is verse 35. Let's pick up there. So he stops with the woman with the issue of blood. And they have this discussion. Jairus waiting for Jesus to continue. While he was still speaking, conversing with the woman. She's telling him the whole story. And Jesus is... Is talking with her. There's a discourse that is going on with them. Some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Now, some of this I gave you just at the end of it last time, but your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher? Some people look at prayers to God as troubling him, as a burden on God. You have to get rid of that mentality. Your prayers are not a burden on God. Don't look at it that way. Don't see it that way. Cast it out. You've got to see that he takes great pleasure in doing things for you. Just like when your kids or your grandkids come up to you and ask you to do something, you take great pleasure in helping them out and doing things for them. Last uh, two weeks ago, when we put the cartoon in the bulletin, we had that cartoon. Ziggy had the uh, salesman come up selling them the printed version of Wikipedia. That's my got to be the most useless thing in the world to buy. And he was questioning that. Sometimes we people come up and they want to sell us things. You don't need to. Now we have a cartoon this time too. Now I bet you haven't figured out what that's in there for. Verse 36. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. He does not say this to John. He does not say this to Peter. He does not say this to James, Andrew, Bartholomew, or any other disciples. He does not say this to the crowd. He does not say that to the people who delivered the news. They were all there. They all heard it. But he's only speaking to one person. Because only one person right now matters. And that is Jairus. Luke's version of this is found in chapter 8 and verse 50. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, Do not be afraid, only believe, and she will be made well. And you all remember from two weeks ago, what word is used here for well? Sozo, the word for salvation. She will be saved. She will be well. She will be made well. So someone else has come along. They know what Jairus is on his way to do. Because they're from the house. They know where to find Jairus because they know where Jairus is going. They were within earshot when Jairus said, I will go to find Jesus and bring him back here. The people at the house know what Jairus is going to do. These people know where to find him. They know what he said. And they come to deliver a proclamation directly contrary to what he said. Have you ever had people 
who wish to deliver a proclamation to you that is directly contrary to what you have said. This is exactly where he is. Jesus does not speak this to anyone else. He speaks it to him. He lets him know. As soon as Jesus heard it, he doesn't let any time go by. Do not be afraid. Because Jesus knows that when someone else comes along into your life and makes a proclamation, that it can mess with your faith, it can mess with your belief system, and it can cause you to be afraid. But don't let someone else's declaration undo your proclamation. I don't think I left this in your outline. Maybe I did. If I did, just uh, fill it in. But something said based on sight. What those guys are bringing is based on sight. What Jairus said is based on faith. What they said is based on sight. Understand this. They are not bringing a statement based on faith. They are bringing a statement based on what they saw. That's it. Jairus did not make his statement, I will go get Jesus and bring him back with me and he will heal her and she will live. He did not make that statement based on sight. He made that statement based on faith and expectation. Now he's got people coming into his life making statements based on sight. Now let me put this question to you this way. How many of you have ever been believing for something, standing for something, You've made a proclamation based on faith and other people are coming to you making a proclamation based on sight. Well, you know, when my Aunt Sophie had that, she died. That's based on sight. Don't let what someone says based on sight mess with what you said based on faith. I put it this way in the outline I had. Something said based on sight cannot undo what was stated based on faith unless you let it go or become fearful. If you just let it go and say, well, I guess there's no use believing for this anymore. You don't become fearful, you just let it go. But if you become fearful, that's also another, another way. So Jesus says, do not be afraid. He didn't feel like Jairus was going to let this go. But don't be afraid. Whenever you make a faith proclamation, immediately pressure comes to change the expectation. Immediately it comes. It don't take very long. You make the faith proclamation. And coming at you will be pressure to make a change on what you expect. To make a change on what you proclaim. To make a change and what you have faith for. Now, bad reports do not come to merely challenge your faith. That is not their main purpose. They do not come to merely challenge your faith. They aim to change it. Understand that. We sometimes look at these bad reports coming in. Well, that's just there to challenge my faith. No, it aims to change your faith. It aims to change it. That's the goal of it. You can look at it as a challenge all you want to. The goal of this is to change your faith. You're not as aggressive with something that you think just is here to challenge you as you are with something that's here to change you. you got to get aggressive with this stuff. 
Now this one I know I left in your outline. God doesn't send bad reports or good reports. God doesn't send them. Understand this. God does not care about reports. He doesn't send bad ones and He doesn't send good ones. Don't raise your hand on this. How many have ever praised God for a good report? I said don't raise your hand. God doesn't send good reports. He doesn't do it. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm absolutely positive. God does not send good reports, nor does He send bad reports. God sends His Word. That's it. Everybody else brings other reports. Some people bring good reports. Some people bring bad reports. But God doesn't bring reports. He doesn't send reports. He sends His Word. Remember this word, this scripture? And He sent His Word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Now see, that scripture burned into me. I don't know what you would have to do to get that out of me. It is burned into me because David Ingalls quotes it on one of his albums. And I've listened to David Engel's album so many times that all the things he puts in between the songs are burned into me. I can't read some scriptures without hearing him recite them. That's one of the ones he would recite. It's burned into me. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. He doesn't send his reports. He sent his word. Reports are based on natural things. They're based on sight. The Word is based on supernatural things, not sight. Reports, no matter, rather good or bad, there is no report that is based on the supernatural. I'll give you a case in point. Go over to the children of Israel. They sent in 12 spies, remember? How many brought a good report? Two. How many brought a bad report? What was each based on? What they saw. The good report is based on what they saw. The bad report is based on what they saw. The two who believed the good report and who spoke it had an interpretation of the good report that was based on what God said. But the report is based on what they saw. That was their assignment, wasn't it? Their assignment was not to spiritualize the land. The assignment was, go and tell us what you see. So a report is only based on what is seen. So no report is of God. His word is what he sent. Don't ever expect a, a report to confirm his word. Now Jesus speaks encouragement to the man who needs the miracle to guard his expectation. But to no one else doesn't speak it to anyone else. Just him. He, he's the only one who needs to be receiving. He needs to be in a place of expectation. He's the only one who needs to be there. If we can keep Jairus in a place of expectation, we can keep him in a place of receiving, that's all we need. That's it. The others he chases away. 
Oh boy, I tell you, there's some stuff we can learn. There's a spot here. If I forget, there's a spot. If I, if I was prone to, I could preach. I could for just this one verse is coming up. I could preach on it. I know I could. Now you can't always stop the new information from coming to your ears. Cannot always stop that. Do not feel like your role in staying staying in faith is to keep bad information from coming to your knee, to your ears. Bad reports, bad news, anything like that from coming to your ear. No, it's not. You can't stop what comes to your ears. Jesus was next to Jairus. Did he stop what came to his ears? No. There is nothing wrong with bad stuff coming to your ears. Bad stuff is what you do after it comes. And Jesus spoke to him on that. You can stop it from taking root in your heart. That's what you got to do. Jairus needed to maintain the belief he had started with that got him on this journey to begin with. That's what he needed to do. There's a there's a belief that got him started. If I go see Jesus, Jesus will come back with me, lay hands on my daughter, and she will be well. That was his belief. He needs to stay with that belief. The report shouldn't pull it from him. And Jesus is telling him directly, don't let this report pull you off from what you're believing. That's what he's telling him. Yeah, but she's dead. Many believers leave the belief that, they, that started them on their journey. It started them on their faith journey because a bad report, a stray or persistent pain, or a pressure from others redirected their faith. And they get off the journey. Don't get off the journey. Let's get on to chapter 5, verse 37. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter... James and John, the brother of James. Now, this is interesting because we immediately begin to think of who did he send back? The crowd? The messengers, right? But I want you to understand this. Who was following Jesus in the beginning? The twelve. All twelve followed him. Beside all the crowd that was there, all twelve followed him. And he permitted only three. You, you, and you. Follow me. The rest of you, get lost. Now, he may have left his nine back to keep the rest of the crowd going. That may have been the reason for the other nine staying back there. He just brings three. So he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult. Those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Luke 8, verse 53, adds this little bit, little nugget here. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. Now, I'm going to have to wait to heaven to get to find this out. But my question for Brother Luke is this. How did you know? I want to know this. Because Luke has some details here that are not in 
Mark's Gospel. Now, Mark's Gospel comes from who? Peter. Peter's there. Where does Luke's Gospel come from? It comes from Luke. If he permitted no one to come with him except for Peter, James, and John, how did Luke get along? I don't know. That's the question I'll have for Brother Luke when I get there. But he adds this little detail for us. And I believe the detail is completely true. I just don't know how he got it. And they ridiculed him knowing that she was dead. Now I include this because I this is this is something else right here. More Christians could understand what is said in this verse. They ridiculed him knowing that she was dead. It's not going to jump out at you first time when you look at this, but I think after this, you will always remember. Remember the movie, Remember the Titans? I love that one line. The defensive coach gets up there with the defensive guys and he says, I want them to remember the day they played the Titans. I love that line. That's a great line. They went out and they just really did some stuff in it. I want you to look at this. And they ridiculed him knowing that she was dead. Jesus came on the scene and said what? Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Have you ever, as a Christian, in your time, known something better than God? Uh-huh. Just about every one of us, right? God, you don't understand. You don't know what I'm facing here. God, you don't know how hard it is. God, you don't know this is impossible for me to do. How many times have we gone in a situation... And God has spoke something and we said, God, you don't know. That's what's happening here. Jesus walks on the scene. He's not been in the room. How many people that are in the crowd that are ridiculing Jesus right now, how many of those people do you think have been in the room? In the room. Not in the house. In the room. Not all of them. Probably a small percentage have been in the room. So how do the rest of them know that she is dead? Because of what was told them. Jesus came in and told them something else. But look at which one they put their faith in. Now we know at the end of the story, we know which one plays out to be true. Right? But look at all these people. They have a choice. I can believe the people who came out of the room and said she's dead. Or, I can believe Jesus who just came on the scene and told me she's not. Well, I'm going to put more faith in these people because they were there. How many times? Have we put more faith in people 
because they were there. Because they went through it. You see, you could preach here for a while, couldn't you? You just park it right here and just have some fun and just preach. And they ridiculed him. They didn't just say, well, you know, I don't think you're right. They didn't correct him. They ridiculed him. If you get people that you have made a faith statement and they come to you based on what they have seen, give you a proclamation, and you make your faith statement over above that and they ridicule you, I'm in company with Jesus. So they did to Jesus. Worked out okay for him. <laughs> Don't you be messing with the fact that, hey, they ridiculed you. So they ridiculed Jesus for doing the exact same thing. See, once again, they're trying to sell something that is totally worthless. But Jesus wasn't buying it. I'm not buying that stuff. What you know can be different from what God knows. You better accept that. That may be a revelation for some people, but what you know may be different from what God knows. So stop saying what you know is superior to what God knows. Because if God makes a statement, if God shares something with you, if He speaks His Word to you, then God says it based on what He knows. And He knows more stuff than you know. He also knew more stuff than the people in the crowd knew. And get this, he knew more stuff than the people who were in the room. Shall we go on? Verse 40. And they ridiculed him, but when he had put them all outside. Oh boy, can you just picture your favorite preacher? Can you just picture him here? And when he put them, all outside. Oh, oh Jesus. And they put them all outside. You gotta start putting things outside. You gotta start keeping things inside. You could just preach in a full walk like that, couldn't you? They ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he does not address their ridicule. He does not argue with them. He does not try to win them over. He doesn't try and keep them on his team. Puts them outside. I don't need you. I don't need you. Get out. And he didn't wait for them to leave. Understand the verse of scripture here. He put them outside. You imagine Jesus doing that? Picture the money changers in the temple. And going back to that scene. You. Outside. Outside. Moved them outside. Jesus was one of the first ushers in the church. But when he had put them all 
all, all, didn't stop at one, two, three, all, outside. He took the father and mother of the child and those who were with him, who was Peter, James, and John, and entered where the child was lying. So we now have six people. Oh, come on. Jesus, couldn't you get one more person? We all know seven's a better number. It's all right. They're going to be leaving with seven. He entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumai, which is translated little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately, the girl arose and walked, for she was twelve years of age, and they overcame with great amazement. Now, are you ready for the cartoon today? Did y'all look at that before you came in? I like this cartoon for this particular reason. Mama chased them outside to do all their spilling outside. Just think about this. We don't care what you spill outside. We care what you spill inside. So why not take the kids with the ice cream and the drinks and put them outside. Because if you spill ice cream outside, who cares? Right? If you spill your doubt and unbelief outside, who cares? They're all covered with doubt and unbelief anyway. But here inside, we don't want that doubt and unbelief. you got to put some people outside. Mama put her kids outside. If mama can put her kids outside, you can put some people in your life outside. I don't care who they are. If they're not getting on board with your faith confession or what God spoke to you, they need to be put outside. You could preach here for a little while too, couldn't you? Now maybe some of you can enjoy that cartoon. If you spill the wrong stuff inside... You get put outside. Don't be spilling the wrong stuff inside. Make sure you bring the right stuff with you on the inside. Or you'll get put outside. Now, could you be one of those who was put outside? See, the people that are put outside, only their reality was real. Have you ever been in a situation with another brother or sister where your reality was the reality? But they believed that, no, oh, that's just wrong. That's just wrong. How many times are we correcting brothers and sisters on, on the things that they do? They have no desire to grow out of what they're stuck in and they are set on grumbling and criticizing. If these characteristics have ever described you for a short period of time, you may be one of those put outside. You don't need to be put in... You don't need to be spilling that stuff inside. Now, I had some people who mentioned to me last week, when, uh, two weeks ago. It's been two weeks, Steve. Two weeks ago, when we let you all know about some things. Well, how come you didn't uh, go with the service this way? Why didn't the service end in this particular way? Or why, you know, uh, uh, let me tell you this. 
when I got the news, and I got the news first by myself, what was going on, and then they said, well, wait till you get to the specialist, and I brought my wife to the specialist, and then he gave us the real news on everything that was going on in the thing, and he still said, you know, we still have to check some things out, uh, and then uh, my wife asked me, she ran off the bat, said, how are you going to pray? I told her this, I don't know yet, because I'm, I told her, I said, I'm going to meditate on this for a little while. And I'm going to let God build that image in me, in me of what we are to do. And then I'll make a declaration based on that. Now, if, and I took some time. She came back to me a week later. I don't know yet. I'm not in a rush. Because I know that whatever it is I declare will have uh, effects that will go back into the past. And I'm okay with that. I don't know yet. But we finally got to the point where I said, all right, this is what I'm praying for. And she said, oh, that's the same thing I'm, I'm praying for and believing for. I said, all right, good. And then when I came out, I shared with you some, uh, what we were praying for and believing. Now, if I involve anyone else in a prayer after I've spent some time, a good bit of time, letting God develop in, inside of me, that's just a recipe for disaster. Because I haven't let God develop that vision inside of you. I haven't let that become developed in, in you yet. I'm not saying that you all wouldn't get to the same place. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying to expect that instantly. I didn't expect it of myself instantly. And then we made our, all right, that's what we're, we're praying, that's what we're believing for. And so we made that declaration. And, um, and we went on. Because there is far more evidence in the Word of God that somebody goes away, finds out what God says to do, prays and believes that, then a whole bunch of people get together and pray and move God. And if anybody wants to bring up Acts and a whole mess of people getting together to pray, my wife and I just had a discussion on that. You don't want to get into that with me. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, you don't want to get into that with me. Do not ever try and hold Acts as a reason why we should have prayer meeting. That's the reason why you shouldn't. You tell me one person in that room was in faith. Praying, believing for Peter to be let out of prison. You tell me one person in that room was in faith. Peter's miracle happened despite the people that are in the room praying. Not because of. It was absolutely despite them. Because what they did was not in faith. I don't know what they were doing in that room. You will notice that none of, that, none of what occurred in the room is recorded in Scripture. None. All we have is what happened at the door. And that's because Peter was there. Ah, we're not on accident. <laughs> Don't be one of those people who gets put outside. Now, if these qualities are in your mouth, I'm going to give you a list here. I don't think I left your room for it on your outline. I really couldn't, but... But I'm going to give you some qualities here. And if these qualities are in your mouth, you might qualify to be put outside. Instead of those that are taken in. I want to be in the group that gets taken in, right? Did Jesus need anybody to bring this miracle about? I don't think so, but he still took Peter, James, and John with him. That's okay. I want to be with the people that get to go in. Because Jesus says, you won't be a hindrance. Come on in. I would wholly rather be in the crowd that is not the hindrance. Even, that's even, that may not be as good as people that are there to help, 
but I'd rather be in the crowd they're not hindering. I think that's more where Peter, James, and John were. Because we don't hear, have them saying or doing a thing. Alright, here's some things for you. Ridicule. If you ridicule what other people are doing in their belief. Not correct. Ridicule. Do you know that the Word of God says this? Oh, I wasn't aware the Word of God said that. See, that's correction. I can't believe you're believing God to do that for you. That's ridicule. There's a difference between ridicule and correction. If your mouth has ridicule in it, if your mouth has criticism, if you begin to order others to line up with your way, or if you're speaking before listening and understanding, these are things that are going to get you put out of the room. Jesus doesn't want people in there speaking before listening and understanding. In the account that we have, <clears throat> how many words did Peter, James, and John utter? None. None. Their words were not important, were they? As long as they didn't speak against it. You can come in. I need you to listen. Sometimes, folks, as Christians, we just don't listen enough. We speak too much. Sometimes you just need to sit back there and listen. And you need to listen to understand. That's one of those things that I pulled from that Covey book that I've had some of you read before. We have to listen to understand before we formulate what we're going to speak. Most people formulate what they're going to speak while they're listening to what you are saying. See, they're not listening to understand. I think the way Covey puts it is, listen first to be under, to understand, then to be understood. Most times we're listening, we're trying to be understood. It's more important that you understand what I'm saying than I understand what you're saying. If you have that mentality, more than likely you would get put out of the room. You don't want to have that. I think it's great. Because these are the same three at the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember what happened there? Peter, oh, Peter opened his mouth. You all know one of my, the guys I used to love to listen to on the radio, and I don't have a replacement for him yet, but Rush Limbaugh was one I just loved listening to him. His self-description of himself was he was a benevolent dictator. If you ever heard him talk about it, he always described himself as a benevolent dictator. Basically, you don't have to do things my way, but I don't have to let you on the show. And he had a lot more grace and... Um, Ability to listen to people with contrary views than I have. He really did. He blew me away on that. Because I'd be listening on the radio and he'd be talking to somebody who was completely in the left field from where he was and talking and explaining this stuff. And I'm pulling my hair out because what they're saying makes no sense at all. Why do you keep them on the air, Rush? Get them off the air. And he's just taking his time, talking with them, listening to what they would say, and just uh, being very patient. He spent... Three times more with people like that than the people who agree with him. It's amazing to me. But he called himself a benevolent dictator. God doesn't force you to line up and do things his way, does he? He does not force you. But you don't get to access the things of God if you don't. Isn't that right? God basically says it this way. You don't have to do it my way. But I also don't let you have to let you have access either. 
So let's do it his way. Let's go along his way. You'll see this sometimes in parenting and work environments and military structure and so forth. We implement the idea of it's my way or the highway. You ever done that? Parenting, work environments, military structure, my way or the highway. This is teaching or demonstrating a wrong idea of how God operates. Because as parents, as bosses, whatever the capacity is, whenever we have an authoritative structure, we are to demonstrate how God operates. We need people to understand how God goes about things. How God would make this world like His home. We need to demonstrate how God, how we are becoming like God. Because God is not going to become like us. And we should not be become, be becoming like the world. Make sure we don't fall into that, that kind of a thing. Now this one I know is in your outline. I'm just going to explain it to you. Flesh-ruled people ridicule what they don't understand and group with like-minded people. They get around the same kind of people. That's why all these folks are all together. They're flesh-ruled. They ridicule what they don't understand. And they all congregate together. Help each other understand. Yeah, you're flesh-ruled. I'm flesh-ruled. Hey, let's have a party. Spirit-ruled people pursue what they don't understand. They pursue what they don't understand. They don't ridicule it. They pursue it. Here's what the, the thing. You pursue what you don't understand to see if God is in it. That's all. You don't pursue it to understand it. You pursue it to see if, is God in this thing that I don't understand? If God is in this thing, now I want to understand it. But you see, the Spirit-led people, all you care about, God, are you in this? If you're in this, I'll spend the time to understand it. If you're not in it, it's I'm gone. So that's what a Spirit-led person will do. Is God in it? That's it. Once I know that God's in it, all right, now I am going to push everything I've got to understand what this thing is. To understand this verse, to understand this concept, to understand how I should see this in today's world, whatever it might be. God, you show me that you are in this. That's all I need to know. Now, it's not a good quality of a person to see the potential negative in any or every situation. That is not a good quality. If you're a person who says, well, I can see what's wrong with anything I've come in contact with. That is not a good quality and don't brag about it in front of God. It's actually a learned trait. I wrote this down in my outline that it's actually a learned trait. And I put this note into it because sometimes I write these things down in there and I, I, I may not get back to this. So I put this in bold and colored it different because I put this down in there you have to understand this. The way that I teach is a little bit different from other people. When I'm studying, God gives me revelation in it. He speaks things. I mean, He actually speaks things to my spirit and I write them down. I never get up here in front of you and say, thus says the Lord, or proclaim these things. I just say them as He gave them to me. But this is one of the things He showed me. He spoke to me about this thing and He showed this thing in particular. And so I made this note. How do we learn this? Because you see, I didn't know. That's why I made the note. And I made that note so I come back to it later on. 
Because sometimes I, I make, I forget to make little notes like that and I come back to it and say, wait a minute, I was supposed to figure out and I forgot to figure it out and here I am. So I didn't want to get, I didn't want to come into that situation. So I made this note and I said, how do we learn this? Because it is a learned trait to see the bad qualities and things. It's a learned trait to see the negative in every situation. We learned it. We didn't come out of the womb that way. It's something that we learned. How have we done it? So I wrote down a couple of things on this. And you can probably meditate on this and get some others. Just God will speak some things to you. First, I wrote down listening to someone's story and deciding before you hear it entirely what your conclusion is. Have you ever done that? Somebody is telling you a story and before they get to the end, you've already determined who's right, who's wrong and what they should have done better. Isn't that right? When you do that, you are training yourself to be that kind of a negative person. You may not have realized that you were training yourself to do that, but that's what you're doing. You're training yourself to do that. Don't blame whoever else, anybody else wants to tell you, blame this person in your life. No, don't blame anybody else. The reason that you're negative, the reason that you look on the negative of other people, the negative of situations, is because you learned it. And this is one of the ways you learned it. You stopped listening to people. And you made a judgment on what was going on. And then by the time they get to the end of telling the story, you've missed half of it. And then you speak judgment out about their story. And you have just taught yourself and reinforced in yourself this ability to do this. You don't want to do that. Next was hearing a report and determining that it is genuine without checking out its facts or suppositions. Have you ever done that? You heard a report? Oh, I can believe that was true. Oh, I know that guy. That guy would definitely do something like that. Right? You are training yourself to be a negative person. Because you believe so easily that negative report. You are training yourself to accept negative things. Don't do it. Well, no, I'm not going to believe that about that person. I'm going to check this out myself and see if it's so. Here's the third one. Enforcing what you understand upon others without expecting and seeking some level of understanding of what you know and believe for them. Now, this is really easy to do as parents, but you can do it as a boss. You can do it in any kind of authoritative situation. You have an understanding of what's going on. You looked, you saw, you have an understanding, and you pronounce. You are training yourself to see the negative. How you train yourself to see the positive is to sit down and listen. What was going through your head when this was going on? What was happening when, when, when all this was, was, was going on with you? When you do that, you're training yourself to look for the good. Don't train yourself to be negative. Don't train yourself to look for the bad. You gotta move out into, into something, into something different. There was a, a situation we ran into. You know, we're out there with the grandkids. And, uh, Lissy and Chenzo, they're always pushing on each other. Now she's bigger. She can push him a lot further than he can push her. But um, they were they were going back and forth and he got mad and out of his, he got mad. He came up to his sister and he took his hands and he pushed with everything he was worth right in her belly. And up inside of me rose up this thing, Chenzo, and do not ever do that. And I'm, I, I took myself, I said, what in the world? Where did that come from? Oh, I know where it came from. 
because I was trained from when I was a little boy. I remember my dad speaking some of these things to me. Because I was little boys do this. We we push girls. I don't know. That's what we do. Girls push boys. Boys we push girls back. That's that's what we do. Kind of grow up that way. And uh, I remember young, young. I mean, Chenzo's the age or younger, having done that. And my dad spoke to me. And he says, "You never push a girl there." Well, I tell you what. I remember that like like it was yesterday. He made an impression on me. But he took me aside afterwards, and he he told me he says. Girls have a lot more things going on there than boys do. And you could hurt some of those things going on. Don't you ever push a girl there. I still remember that. How many years ago? Almost 60 years ago. I still remember him telling me that. Mm-mm. Now I don't care how mad you get at a girl. Do not push her there. See, if I was uh, Smith Wigglesworth and he had to punch that girl in the tumor, get behind me, Satan. I know, I know. <laughs> he obviously didn't grow up that way. Now, Lissy and Chenzo, they, they seek understanding in different ways and for different topics. Lumi, um, she doesn't really seek understanding all the time. She mostly just wants to talk. But Chenzo and Lissy, they, they seek understanding. They want to understand some things and so... Uh, with different topics, they may ask you a question, and we can go off on some things and investigate. And uh, somehow we got on the. Oh, uh, Lissy was looking at the fireplace one time, and she was asking me a question. She says, "Why are some parts of it a different color?" And uh, one of the things that really helps you out if you ever want to be a teacher or a preacher, uh, brother um, uh, Ken Hagen Jr. used to call it the gift of gab. And he said, what the gift of gab is, if somebody gives you a topic, you can talk on that topic for 30 minutes and not even know anything about it. It's the gift of gab. You can just, he said, somebody can t- tell you about clouds, and you can just talk about clouds for a long time. All the different things about clouds. You have to be able to, to do that. And so one of the things that, that um, I can usually do is if you give me a question about things, I can give you far more information than you ever intended to receive. And she sometimes says, yeah, pop up sometimes goes on and answers more of the question that I that I asked. <laughs> so I try and be sensitive to that a little bit. And so she was asking this, this kind of thing. I said, well, you know, the different colors tell you how hot a thing is. I said, have you ever noticed that stars are different colors? And I saw that there was a spark of interest in her. No, they are? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I began to recite to her because I, I can tell you where different, cars, different stars are and their color. I can do that off the top of my head. I don't need to go to a Google and find it. I can, I, right there, that's a white star. Right there, that's a red star. Right there, that's a blue star. I can point them to you and let you know. Because um, I, I studied this stuff out before and it just has always stuck with me. So I actually pulled up a web page for her and let her see, here's the life cycle of, a, of the sun. And the suns and the, all the different colors. That, the red ones, the red ones are the least hot. Ours is yellow. Ours is in the middle. If you didn't know that, our, si- our sun is in the middle life cycle of a sun. There are still several other stages to go. And the, on that thing, God has all that taken care of. And he'll take care of the sun, make sure that we always have what we need. I don't ever get concerned about all that sort of stuff. But each one, you know, they'll seek after understanding in a different way and seek understanding on, on different things. But if you constantly are finding yourself training your, yourself to, to get the negative, you always see the negative. And then people, understand this about it, people will shut off receiving from you. 
If people are always thinking you're going to receive the negative, you're going to see the negative about me, they stop receiving from you. And if that happens, there's not a whole lot you can do ministry-wise because they've already shut down. You've got to train yourself to see the positive. Just as you train yourself to see the negative, you can train yourself to see the positive. If you choose to. You may not choose to. Now, there are people that Jesus does not want around him when the situation makes a demand on faith. Notice all those people were around him in the crowd were pressing on him. He didn't mind them being there. He didn't mind them being there when the woman with the issue of blood came up and she pulled on her miracle. He didn't mind them being there and the presence of God going through him, power of God going through him into her in healing. He didn't mind these same people being here But when the situation has changed and it now puts a demand on faith, get out. There are some people that can be in your life most of the time, but there are certain places, certain times, you just need to say, get out. I do not need your nonsense right now. That's a Miss Gladys statement right there. Now, I don't think he he cares or expects them to come around to his way of thinking. I don't think he expects it. I don't think he cares if they do. At this point, I don't care about you. The one I care about is Jairus. And they're doing so will have no bearing on the situation. Won't make any difference to the girl who's right now dead. Won't make any difference at all if you come around in my way of thinking or not. So get out of the room. We don't need you here. Now notice this. He did the miracle in the room with everybody else in unbelief. And the only people in faith were the four people who lowered down the paralytic. That's it. Everybody else is in unbelief. And he did the miracle in the room. The presence of unbelief in the room does not stop the power of God working. But when there is a demand put on your faith, God says, get the unbelief out of the room. They cannot hinder the power of God, but they can hinder you. People think they're helping with your situation. But they offer no more than the same people in this story who are weeping and wailing. All they created is commotion. They didn't create a miracle. They didn't create faith. They created commotion. A tumult, as it is said. Jesus doesn't need many to go with them. You don't need many to help go along with your miracle. Just those who had authority over the girl... And those submitted to his authority. That's all he needed. He could get this done. Now the Spirit of God can make a statement in your, in your life about your situation. And that statement can be met with ridicule or it can be met with faith. Make sure you keep the people around you. They're going to meet it with faith. Now this is in your outline. From faith's point of view, the problem is never in what we face, but always in what we fear. The problem is not in what you face. Always in what you fear. I always think of R.W. Schambach with this. Remember how he would sign off his radio? You don't have any trouble. All you need is faith in God. That's his sign-off. That's basically the same thing. Fear and worry are not afraid of the presence of God, but flee our faith in God. Fear and worry, they are not afraid 
of the presence of God. These people were spreading fear and worry and they could care less that Jesus was in the room. Fear and worry. They're not afraid of the presence of God. Just because you have fear and worry does not mean you do not have the presence of God. Because fear and worry don't care about it. How many times in the stories we looked at so far, the presence of God is there, still we got fear, still we got worry. It's still there. They're not afraid of the presence of God. But they will flee your faith in God. That's what the key is. They don't, they're not afraid of the presence of God, but they will flee your fear in God. Even though Jairus is standing right next to Jesus, fear knocked on his door. Boy, I'll tell you, get the revelation of that. He is standing right next to Jesus and fear knocked on his door. Don't let the presence of fear knocking on your door tell you where you are with Jesus. Because immediately you get that fear knocking on your door and the devil's whispering in your ear because you don't, you're not right with God. Your fellowship with Jesus is not right. Jairus is right next to Jesus. Right next to him. Here comes fear. If fear didn't come, why does Jesus say, do not fear? Now there is no faith in imitation. Only in obeying. You had the seven sons of Sceva, they, they imitated. No faith there. Jesus on the, or Peter on the water with Jesus, he obeyed. There's where the faith is. But we got to make sure that we are ready to obey, obey the general command. If you are not ready to obey the general commands in the word, like do not fear, do not worry, if you're not going to obey those. These are the general commands. Don't you be saying how much you're going to obey this specific command. I've taught you that before. Matthew 6.25 Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. If you cannot obey that general command, don't go to Jesus and say, give me a specific command. Because you won't give, obey it. If you can't obey a general one, how are you going to obey the specific one? And why is God going to give you a specific one when you haven't obeyed the general one? Luke 12.29, Philippians 4.6, these are all similar things. They're a general command. People say, well, it's my personality worry. Yes, it is. It's everyone's personality worry. It's called the flesh. We all got it. It's not your personality type. It's your flesh. Get the flesh out. Live according to the Spirit. Get this one, though. I've given you this before. Faith combats fear, not symptoms. Faith combats fear, not symptoms. Your faith was not built to combat symptoms in your body. It was built to combat fear from taking root. And just because what you face doesn't change doesn't mean your faith is not working. Jairus' situation changed, but it changed for the worse. Didn't mean his faith wasn't working, and it doesn't mean his faith wasn't valid. We haven't gotten to this really cool verse yet, and you need to get there. Unless you all want to come back next week. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said that something should be given her to eat. Now, come on. How does Jesus expect this to work? Don't tell anybody. Don't. Everybody's outside the room. All these people are outside the room. You know what they're doing? They're wailing. They're weeping because 
Because she's dead. And we're going to bring her out. And you tell me, don't, don't say anything happened. Nothing happened here. Nothing at all. Just a normal day at the Jairus household. How does Jesus expect, because he's not telling them something that they can't do, right? How many times have you just read over this verse and say, well, I just not supposed to tell anybody. You miss what he said. Oh, I'll tell you what. Don't want you to miss what he says. I want you to get this. Because he is saying something really powerful. And if you just read over this, you will not see it. You ready? He commanded them. He didn't suggest. He commanded. Strictly. That no one should know it. Wait a minute. They know she's dead. We're bringing her out. We can't keep her in this room all day long. She's coming out. They're going to know something changed. How are they supposed to hide that? What is Jesus expecting? So I pondered that for a little while. Well, what did Jesus say when he came? The child is not dead, but sleeping. That's what Jesus said. What did they say? She said, they said, she's dead. So what is Jesus really telling them to do here? Do not say that she was raised from the dead. Just say, I woke her. Doesn't that make sense? Doesn't that make more sense? Don't tell them that a great miracle just occurred in this room. They don't need to know it. Just tell them, I don't know, Jesus came in, he woke her up, and she got up. That was it? I mean, he was right when he came in and said she was asleep? Yeah, she's just asleep. He woke her up. That's it. Because What else are you going to come out there and say? Oh, I'll tell you what. Sometimes we are publicizing our faith miracles with the wrong people because we think we need to spread what God has done. You don't need to publicize the faith miracle of those who pursue faith's demise. If you've got people in your life that tried to speak doubt and unbelief to your faith miracle, they do not need to ever know what happened. You don't need to say we're doing. You just go on about your life like nothing happened. And it's okay. Because people who want to see faith demised faith taken down, do not deserve to see faith succeed. Don't let them know it. Because then they'll believe what they saw. I don't want them to believe in what they saw. I want them to believe because of what they heard. Faith comes by hearing. If you listen to the Ivy Hilliard uh, teaching, the one on the facts, I pulled this quote out from it. It really fits in with what we had today. Unless I have developed this mindset of approaching and attacking facts, facts will continue to intimidate me. Some people 
attack facts with their faith. Others attack faith with their facts. Don't be among the latter people. Don't attack faith with facts. Attack facts with faith. It all depends on which ones you see yourself as owning or (laughs) maybe which ones own you. Which ones own you? The facts that are stated around you or the faith that God has spoken? Just to remind you of these things we left you with last time. Hope is created by hearing the promises in the Word. That's how hope is created. Faith is demonstrated by acting on the truth of those promises you hear. Expectation is generated by declaring how that promise will come to me. Well, we don't have much time for it here. But that part where they thronged Jesus when this woman came in from the press behind. I'll tell you what, it's incredible the things you can learn from the Greek. I'll just try and work this in some other time down the road. We have more time to spend on it. But uh, it comes from the Greek word phlebosin. And when we get done showing you some of these things, that may become one of your favorite words in Greek. Maybe not the favorite, but it could sure become one of your favorite words in Greek. Would you all stand up with me? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that the facts that we have that go on around us, the facts that people state, the facts that people want to point out to us, they're not your word. And they should never garner our faith and our belief like your word does. Our life down here on this earth, you are raising us up to have faith that will take you at your word as easily as before we learned about faith, we took the world at its word. Help us to train ourselves to see the positive. To train ourselves to be one of those people that you would ask to be in the room. Not ones that would be put out of the room. We want to be those faith children that you can look to and say, yeah, we can bring them in. They'd be good to have. Help us, Father, to see the things that we've done in our life that have made us be one of those that you would have put out. And help us understand how we can develop those qualities that you would look around and you would find a Peter, a James, and a John. You guys, you come with me. They weren't perfect. They weren't the strongest in faith yet. But there was something in them that Jesus said, you would benefit me to be in the room. Thank you for it. I give you the praise and the glory. There he head bowed. If you're here today and you say, I've had people, they've spoken the wrong things in my life. And I put my faith in the things they said instead of the things that God said. I know that has occurred in my life. Raise your hand up. Father, you see the people that are raising their hands? I thank you, Father, that there is forgiveness with you. We may have gone and left our faith behind and gone in the wrong direction. 
But Father, when we come to you and say, I repent, I am sorry for going and believing someone beside you. That you are willing to take us back and to forgive us and to restore us and to lead us along the way to become one of those that you would call into the room. Not one of those that you would put out. Help us to get rid of the grumbling, the complaining, the seeing the negative, all the things that would go on. And above all, that we would take your word over any report that would come to us. And I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, glory to God. Hope you learned something more from this story. I told you over and over, this is my favorite of healing stories. Love this story. I'll go back out over next year too, with just myself. I mean, I'll teach you to hear. I'll go back over it again, and I know I will learn some more. And I'll go back it over it again after that, and I know I'll learn some more. I know I am not learned, done learning all I need to learn from this woman and this man. I can learn more and how Jesus worked with them. Tomorrow we have a video teaching coming out. Boy, I'll tell you what, I struggled with this one. Oh, boy, I, I listened to all I couldn't do a whole lot. I'm not supposed to lift a whole lot of things, and not a whole lot I can do. So I was listening. I listened to all kinds of folks. I listened to so many Lisa Harper teachings, and I was getting through it. said, oh, she's going to the same place. We already heard these stories. I don't want to. It has to be something a little bit new. And I don't blame her. She goes to a, a new place, uh, brought out to a conference. It's not like she's at a church the same time each, each, each time. But it's, oh, we've got to find something different. And so she made mention of a, a lady. I forget her name now. Oh, she said she was really good. So I went and I found some of her. And I said to them, I got 10 minutes into it. There's no way I'm putting this thing up there. I don't know what Lisa saw in this, this one, but now, no way I'm putting that up there. And I didn't pursue any other ones. And I went after, I went through um, uh, Faith Dome. They, they, they still have their 50-year thing they were going on. And I went through, I don't know how many, half dozen, 10 more of the visiting ministers they had come out. Some of them were good, but just not ready for this. And other ones, no, nah, it's not really what we want to do. So I went back and listened. I don't know how many I listened to. I couldn't figure it out. I come to the bulletin here this morning, about uh, uh, 3 o'clock in the morning, and I'm looking at the bulletin, and I don't have anything put in there. i got to come up with something. So I went back to my trusty list, because I have this list over there on Facebook, and it's uh, now Future Monday Teachings. And these are ones that I listened to and felt like, oh, they're pretty good. And so I pulled one out. I've had this one on there for a couple of months. Uh, this is not a guy that I uh, listen to very often. I don't really seek his stuff out. Uh, happened to one time, some time ago, we, I was introduced to him when we were out there in California at the seminary out over there, Jay Eberly. And I uh, listened to this and I thought, oh, this is good. I enjoyed this. He had a nice thing that he was doing on the authority, how we can use our authority in the lives of others and how you cannot use the authority in the lives of others. There's a time when he is ministering to some people there in the beginning. I, I left that in there because I think you might enjoy it. If you don't enjoy it, you don't want the things to go on before, fast forward up to 11 minutes and you'll get past all that. So the first 11 minutes are places where they're ministering, mostly over two people that are there. But in the first one, I want you to notice this. If you do watch it, notice how he ministers to the first one. He doesn't try and change their faith. He found out what they were believing for and got in line with it. That was important to note about that. But he shares a story of Brother Hagin. I know at some point I probably mentioned this to you because that's where I heard it from. I never heard Brother Hagin tell this story. 
but this story will shake you a little bit. Shook me a bit. On it, he tells a story of Brother Hagin visiting the Mormon Tabernacle in Salt Lake City. It adds some really interesting insight into what we allow into our home, where we allow ourselves to go, and just what authority we have subjected ourselves to. Now, I may challenge you, things that you have done, things that you might still be doing, but I think it might be a good challenge to receive. So I hope you listen to this. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, so that'll, It's already posted there now. If you want to go up to the, to the YouTube channel, it's there now. If you want to wait until the links, they come out at the normal time. But it's up there for you to, uh, to enjoy. I hope you, uh, you find this enjoyable. And he's a, he's a pastor of a church. It looks like it comes right out of his church. I don't believe this, this is anything. He's someplace ministering on a special meeting. Uh, this Wednesday night, we do not have service because we have Thanksgiving on Thursday. And we know from the times past that people are getting ready for meals or getting ready to travel. And so coming out on Wednesday night is not something that usually works out a whole lot. So uh, there will be no service on this particular Wednesday. And we'll uh, change things with that as we as we go. But uh, this week, we'll just be uh, enjoying your Thanksgiving holiday with the family that you're there with. Listen to God. God is going to speak some things to you. He may want you to share in the situation where you're at. Listen to Him. He'll, he'll speak some things that will help people, even though it may not look like it helped them right off the bat. Just as Jesus very often would speak things to people that God would, would say to Him to help them. Always make sure whatever you speak to people, if you are not doing it because you love them, keep your mouth shut. If you're speaking it because you're angry with them, if you're speaking it because you're trying to get your point across, you're probably better off keeping your mouth shut. But if you're speaking it because you love them and God has shown you something for them, there may come a time when you have to be bold with what you speak. But boldness tempered with love is so much different than boldness without it. Have a great week. Thank you all for all that you did while we were missing not here appreciate being back here with you